Welcome back to Outside the System. Today's episode is with Joe Martin, an independent musician from the UK who is using value for value as an alternative to the traditional music business model. Value for value is a system where the audience directly supports a creator using the Lightning Network. This was originally used for podcasters through Podcasting 2.0 with platforms like Fountain and has now expanded to music through platforms like Wavelake. During the episode, Joe compares using value for value to being a street performer, which I thought was funny because this podcast is also supported by value for value on apps like Fountain. Let's get into the episode. Joe, thanks for joining me on Outside the System today. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Neil. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so um, I think probably the best place to start is maybe just quick introduction on what you're doing, because I, you know, I probably didn't do it full justice in in the intro, um, and a little bit about your background, and uh, yeah, I can't wait to dive into it. You're you're actually the second artist I'm having on the podcast. The first one was uh, Lyra, who gave a lot of really interesting. Uh, look into kind of like web three in music and she was doing something around fun- she's also an independent artist so it was kind of funding almost like doing a club of her super fans um through kind of like the nft route uh you're doing okay. something which i think is uh, to me i think i'm i'm closer to the bitcoin side than kind of like the the ethereum ecosystem so uh what you're doing is just super interesting to me so yeah let's let's dive in awesome yeah well um i'm a singer songwriter um first and foremost, but I've been doing music all my life. Uh, started singing and playing piano at like the age of five and six years old. Um, I did a lot of classical stuff. Well, that's how I started. And then sort of early teens, picked up a guitar for the first time. And, uh, you know, started listening to a lot of singer-songwriters that, well, my parents were listening, parents liked, you know. Uh, was influenced by their tastes. and got into sort of Bob Dylan and James Taylor and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Simon and Garfunkel, like the sort of 60s and 70s singer-songwriter stuff, um, as well as like the Beatles and the Beach Boys and, you know, all that great music. Um, but I didn't start writing songs until sort of age 18, 19, uh, either just because probably didn't have enough life experience (laughs) and the first batch of songs weren't great either so none of them uh, are still around today Uh, but you've got to start somewhere so uh, I've been writing for about a decade now Um, and you never crack it you never figure out you never figure out a formula you're always learning Um, but no um, I've just released my very first studio album which I've just recently toured around the UK on a 13-day tour. Um, so that's where I am at the moment. Um, and then, sort of for the past, you know, the last six months, I've been releasing my music on a value-for-value model, um, sort of ch- challenging the, the conventions of the way things are done in the industry, uh, especially as an independent artist, uh, because I feel like the way things are currently structured and the way things are currently done isn't really sustainable uh, in the long term so just trying to look into different ways of of, of releasing music and value for value is sort of to me it it seems like one of the best ways um that i've come across um yeah to sort of build a sustainable thing going forward so yeah yeah and what's the name of the album that just came out it's called empty passenger seat Nice. Yeah. And I was, I was listening to it, um, when we were prepping for the, the episode and, um, uh, kind of like you, you almost have for a, a, a UK artist, you have a very like almost American country music, uh, vibe. Yeah. So like, that's what I've been steeped in as well, you know, since kind of since like the age 18, 19, when I said I started writing songs, I was getting really into country music at that time. Uh, before that, I'd been listening to a lot of just like British folk music and um, sort of just I don't know, like American folk as well, I guess. Um, but um, I, I watched this show Nashville that came on TV over here. It was it's obviously an American show, uh, but that was broadcast in like twenty. It came out in twenty thirteen, I think. And it's funny, a lot of the UK country 
singer-songwriters cite that show as being a big influence for them. I think a lot of people, uh, like on this side of the pond, like got into more modern country music through that show. It seemed to be a bit of a gateway <laughs> thing, you know. So so I, I really got into that, and I loved the music that was on that show. It was produced by a guy called T-Bone Burnett, um, and he did like Oh Brother Where Art Thou and stuff like that. And I was hearing these songs on the show, and one of the songs on there that just blew my mind was uh, by a guy called John Paul White, uh, who was part of a duo called The Civil Wars. And I was really into them at the time, but I didn't know he'd written the song and all this stuff. So I was hearing this great music through the show, um, and I, it made me want to go out to Nashville ever since I started watching that on TV. So, you know, fast forward sort of to 2016, I went out there for the first time. Um, and then. Um, after that first visit, I, I'd spoken to, a, I'd uh, been staying with a friend of a friend, um, sort of like couch surfing with them, and I'd given them a demo tape and sort of jokingly sort of said before I left, oh, can you hand this into the Bluebird? Because they said they they sort of played there quite a while ago and they knew some of the people in there. And then I come back to England and a few months later I get an email from the Bluebird Cafe and just, just uh, if you don't know, I don't know if you've seen the show or anything like that, or if you're into country, but the Bluebird Cafe was on the show every week. Like, the artists that were on it were, like, always playing at the Bluebird, and that's how I'd seen this place, through the TV show. So I got an email from the Bluebird to say, uh, we've got your demo tape, do you want to come and play next time you're in Nashville? Uh, so <laughs> I booked flights straight back out there again, went, went again in 2017 and played at the Bluebird for the first time. Uh, which was awesome because I was I've been watching it you know on TV for like years and what a people moment. like yeah people like Taylor Swift were discovered there Garth Brooks like all these sort of legendary country artists uh, were were kind of discovered there so it's it's a special place uh, in the country music world so to get a play there was a you know a big moment that's uh, like a but yeah true dream can come true there yeah I had to sort of pinch myself like, yeah <laughs> yeah when I was when I was on stage there but um. No, and ever since I've just been doing it and I just love the genre. You know, I love the storytelling aspect of it as well. You know, um, I like think it's the a writing, challenge. Like writing an actual song, not just performing it or not just uh, singing it, but but actually the process of telling that story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And kind of like, I like the sort of cinematic thing of kind of try, trying to like condense what would be like a three hour film or something into a three minute song. And you've got to be really, really careful with like what words you you include and what words you don't include to, to, to make every word count and make it really streamlined powerful like song uh that i like that challenge but yeah and then still make it sound good too there's like yeah there's so many yeah i feel like writing a song is a next level like from even writing a book or writing a movie or something because you just there can't be any filler you know it's like there has to be <laughs> Every word has to matter, I guess, to tell that kind of a story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've, I've never written a book, so <laughs> I wouldn't know. Yeah. I guess it's a, different, a completely different discipline. Uh, they've all got their Absolutely, challenges. But yeah. but yeah, you know, it's, um, it is it is tough. And trying to play to a, a new crowd that's never heard of you uh, or never heard any of your songs to try and win them over um, and get their attention uh, within a few minutes, it's always... It's quite tough, but it's, it's good. You know, it's good fun. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And then I guess what is the, so kind of tying it into the business model side, what is the way that like a standard artist today, let's say main, like not mainstream is not the right word, but kind of taking the standard path. How do they sustain themselves? I'm guessing it's a mix of like touring, streaming, uh, you know, maybe there's some other merch, maybe there's some other revenue streams, but um, yeah, how does like an artist today sustain themselves in kind of the standard world? And then what is kind of the difference in terms of what you're trying to do? You were saying in the last six months, the, the work you've been doing on the value for value side. Yeah, so um, I'd say it's kind of, as an artist, uh, as a musician in general, you've got to be quite versatile. You've got to just make yourself as busy as possible and do a lot of different kind of things. Um, so like, I feel when I speak to older musicians from like, because uh, I gig with a lot of like older guys as well sometimes that were around gigging in the 70s and 80s and stuff and they they sort of told me that back then uh, there were a lot of like 
clubs that had music on, like working men's clubs and like everywhere there were venues and they were always packed like every night of the week. Um, I guess it's just a different time now. But um, they said, you, you know, you were working six nights a week and you're on a good wage and, you know, getting paid well. So um, it's kind of different to, to how it used to be now. But um, no, it's, it's you kind of have to have a different, be spinning a lot of different plates, really. So you got to do like a lot of cover gigs that you might not necessarily want to do that kind of helps the original stuff. Um, and you just got to be constantly gigging and touring, doing supports for big, bigger acts if you can land that kind of stuff. Um, but there's kind of two ways, two, two paths you can take. Um, like long term, you can try and get signed to like a label, I guess. Um, and there's not really that many independent labels left, I don't think. A lot of them, they, they sort of just get consolidated uh, all the way up to like the big three. So like Universal, um, Time Warner and, um, and Sony. And what is uh, a, uh, this, this might be an overly basic question, but what does a label bring to the table as a distribution essentially for an artist? Like gets, gets the word yeah. out there essentially? Yeah. So it depends. Like sometimes um, a label wants to find an artist that has their brand like nailed and already has quite a loyal like uh, fan base and is making great music and, and then they they can just take that and then put some more money behind it, put some PR behind it, maybe repackage it a little bit um, and just expand on that core fan base that that artist has already cultivated through like years of, of work and gigging Poor, and like, stuff gasoline, like that. Gasoline on the fire, basically. Like, yeah, yeah, just give them, a, just give them a, a bigger budget and a bigger platform to kind of do what they're already doing, but on a bigger scale. Right. Um, and then you sort of have the other side of it where they will take someone from scratch that kind of hasn't done much but shows a lot of promise um, and then they want to do artist development with them they want to like brand them in a specific way and that's kind of more of like a, not manufactured but yeah like you know like that's more of the label having more hands-on with that artist rather than just kind of taking what's already there and just like boosting it guess um there's like development i guess in the that case they're helping them develop in other cases the artist is already pretty far along and doing something that's working it's just how do we grow it essentially so they'll so they'll do that and they'll put them with maybe writers that have had hits that that are also part of their label or part of their contacts or network and they'll put them in rights with those people and have them support um like a big thing is when a label signs a new artist they will probably put them on tour with one of their other bigger artists that are within the same genre because it makes sense, right? Like if they have an artist that's, you know, playing 2000 seat theaters or whatever, they're going to have their newly signed artists open up for them to get them exposed to the same crowd. And it's like a two for one sort of thing. Um, so, so like that, like a lot of musicians and artists go like want to go down that path. And then the other path is just like the completely, independent route which is a lot harder um you because you've got to kind of do all the different aspects of what a label would do anyway but the sort of flip side of that is you get to you get full creative control and get to keep you know everything you make um so you know the trade-off it's a a trade-off yeah um and kind of the way things have been for, for quite a while now is that it's like because there's so little money in, in doing it's it's so hard doing the original uh, the independent thing like a lot of artists just kind of want that deal from a, a label or because but I mean when you know it depends what the deal is but a lot of the time the label will just sort of give you an advance like, like a it's a loan basically um, to make a, an album uh, they'll give you a budget and that will go that might span the actual production of the album, PR, etc., cetera. Um, and then you're, you're paying that loan off with your... With the your earnings. Your, with the earnings, yeah for, yeah, for however many years, plus interest. I don't know, it's, but that, that's essentially what it is. So a lot of the time, I think people have you know, a lot of misconceptions about that. 
I think, you know, unless you literally do just go huge and global and making making an absolute killing. Um, you know, you hear a lot of horror stories of people that sign to deals and they'll sign like four or five album deals and they can't get out of them legally. They've got to make, they've got to make, you're locked in for however many years and you've got to, you've got to give them four albums or five, whatever it is. Um, so I don't know, but I guess but you've gone the independent it, route. So it's, it, yeah, right? I are mean, you, are you, are you independent at the yeah. moment or, okay. Yeah. Fully independent. So I, I kind of, I guess when I was younger, I did want to go down the label route. Um, and now as time's going on, um, I'm thinking, and I think we're at the start of a big shift with, with the value for value stuff, which we'll probably get in. Gonna get into we're at the start of a shift of like a new way to monetize uh, content online which i think which i i think is going to be in favor of the independent artist like in a big way it's going to really put the power back in the artist's hands and it's going to give us a lot more options um and it's yeah. going to bring back it's going to bring back a middle ground that's been taken away i feel because like the, you know the only way to make money now as an artist is gigging essentially like live shows. And then, you know, on top of that, you might be selling a bit of merchandise and merchandise for like the independent artist is a lifesaver because if you do mm. well selling merch at a gig, you can almost like double your fee of what you're on. Um, like this wow. tour I've just done, this tour I've just done recently. Um, I took a band, a three piece band along with me as well as some supports. And, you know, I've, paid them all their fee and you know put them up in the bnbs and paid for fuel and everything it's, it's really expensive and like we did really well on tickets considering it was the first headline tour but if i hadn't have done as well as i did on merchandise it would not have been you know you might have I, been I luckily, yeah oh definitely yeah i'd have been in the red big time i mean like i broke i was lucky enough to break even uh, but, and as well, it helped it being like an album launch. So right. like, you know, I had all the albums there ready to sell and then, you know, right. the crowds, so you... I'm saying like, do you want to go home with a copy of the album? Cause that's what this, the whole tour is about. It's about, it's an album tour. Yeah. You know, try, I'm trying to sell these things. So people, you know, bought a t-shirt, bought an album. So that really helped a lot. Um, but, uh, I've gone off track a bit there. Um, no, no, you haven't. I mean, I think it's the business model part that we're talking about. And I think, you know, the other part of it, so you said a lot of it comes from touring. What about from, like, how does it work on the streaming side? Right. So so this is the thing. Like, ever since... Especially since ad- you're independent, right? Like, I understand, and, and I think, you know, most people probably understand if somebody's signed to a label and they make streaming revenue, I'm guessing the vast majority of it goes to the label. Um, but, you know, yeah. w- and it probably goes towards that advance, that loan that you were talking about. But what about as an independent? Does streaming... It, does streaming work any better for you or is it still an insanely low uh, amount of money that you're getting from, from streaming? Yeah, I think, you know, unless you're racking up like millions or tens of millions of streams, it's not, it's not moving the needle at all. Um, it's kind of like, very sadly, it's sort of seen as a lost leader in a way, which is kind of weird. Like your main product, the music right. itself is like a lost leader to get people <laughs> to come to your live show Right. But if you've got, and buy, if you've merch. got a glo- <laughs> and buy merch, but if you've got a global listenership, like they can't come to your gigs if you, unless you're gigging internationally, like, right. But, but that's you know hard I mean? for independent artists to get to that point. I mean, not saying that you can't, but it's, it's not an easy, easy thing. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, the way I see it is that, that and the way a lot of other artists see it is that they just, they're on Spotify because they have to be, because that's where people go to listen to music first or YouTube or whatever, you know? So it's like, if you're not on those platforms, you're kind of like doing yourself, you know, a disservice because you need to, you need to be on there because they're the dominant sort of networks. They're the dominant platforms for people to go listen and consume music. That's like the distributions. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but no, it, it doesn't, it, you know, like I said, unless you're racking up tens of millions of streams, you're not, you're not moving the needle with it at all really. Um, so I feel like ever since the, the advent of the internet in general, and then, you know, like Napster, LimeWire, and now Spotify, um, 
the artist had like, uh, you know, revenue from recording music. Um, you know, uh, if it was being, you, you still get a little bit of money from radio plays and stuff like that, but from just selling music, just selling CDs and stuff like that. Um, and especially for the big labels that like back in the nineties, they were selling CDs for like 20 pounds back then. Right. You know, and that was a lot more than it is now. So, you know, for the but labels yeah, think about as well. How many streams you would need to get to that from one person. I mean, it's, Oh, I've, I've worked it out. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like I worked it out at one point. It was like three good nights of me, like three good nights for me selling merchandise at a gig is the equivalent of like Wembley stadium streaming a song for me. Like it's some, it's something ridiculous. Like you need to, to make like 300 quid, you need like 80,000 streams or something, you know, wow. something crazy. So, and that's as an independent. So imagine if someone is signed to a label, like, and the label's even taking more of the, uh, a good chunk of that money. It's like streaming is literally nothing then for you. No, if you're, no. And then if you're signed. Yeah. Yeah. And ever since like the streaming thing started, started to take off labels, then started going back to their artists and making them sign 360 deals, which essentially is like, not just, you know, the recorded stuff they take a cut of, it's the live, it's the merch, it's mm. anything to do with like branding or any, any sort of other affiliations you have with, with anything else. Um, it, it's like all encompassing because they just need, they, they needed to make up that lost revenue yeah. from somewhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Joe, I have a, a book, a nonfiction book, and I have okay. a publisher. So I'm like very familiar with the like, it sounds, the publisher sounds very similar to the label actually. Uh, but luckily right. I only, like when I signed my deal, I guess it was only to the rights to the book. So I've done a, a bunch of offshoot content that's like courses or like custom coaching or like different type of stuff, which has made way more money than the actual book itself. But okay. the publisher doesn't get any of the of that, right? Because it's not... They, they only have the rights to the book. Like they, they do get most of the money off the book. Like somebody goes to Amazon, it's like a $12 book. And I think I get like $1.50 or something out of the $12. Like it's really small. I always tell people, I mean, I always tell people when they're like, oh, I'll buy a book to support you. I'm like, only if you want, I can give you a copy. Like it's really not much different for me uh, if you buy a copy or I give you a copy. Um, is it is it physical yeah. or is it just a digital? It's a physical book and digital. I get slightly more on the digital. I think it's like a twenty five percent royalty on the digital copies, yeah. uh, but the physical ones, I think, because they're you know they deduct like the printing cost and like shipping costs and all. There's a lot of costs that they deduct out of it, and then you know at the end of it, my royalty is extremely small uh, on the physical copies. But I mean, it's cool to have the physical copy and stuff. But yeah, if I had like the three sixty type of deal, it would be pointless for me to even do the book. Cause I, I knew that going in, other people had told me, you know, you're probably not going to make much money on the actual book. It's like, it's not going to be enough to live unless your book is like a bestseller, which, you know, is obviously very rare. Um, and it's not. So, you know, it was, I had kind of been told going in, okay, you're going to make money from these other things, speaking gigs, like all these other types of revenue streams, which the publisher doesn't get a cut of. Yeah. Yeah. Do you sell, do you sell it like through a website as well? Do you get to keep everything on that if you sell through your site yeah i can sell through my site but then i have to like pre-purchase a lot of books so i've done that for i've done that more for like if there's a group that wants to buy like a hundred like there's been a couple universities which are like you know oh we want to give this to all the students in this class right and then i'll do it directly i'll say okay i'll sell it to you for this price or you can buy it on amazon but it's going to cost more if you do that um, so then I get to keep more of it because I, I can buy the books at a, like in bulk at a very discounted price. Um, but I haven't done it for like one-off sales because it's, it's not enough volume to be worth kind of the time to like set it up and then go to the post office and mail it and all this stuff. So I just, I, I just direct people to the Amazon if they're just buying it. In and the Amazon's like a print to order thing. I think originally they had done a print batch, but now it might be print to order because it's like five years ago the book came out. It's not a this recent, is, yeah. This is like my dilemma with t-shirts. Like, like um, I, I only, to make it cost effective, you've kind of got to get a run of like a hundred really. Yeah. But actually selling a yep. hundred t-shirts is kind of like quite hard. And then yeah. you end up just with boxes of t-shirts. So exactly. it's like, it's one of those things where it's, yeah. You don't yeah, want to pre pre-order a lot of right, stuff. Right. So if you have somebody who wants to buy like a big batch, then it's easy. Then you're just like, okay, yeah, I'll print a hundred at once and you know, make it cost effective. 
But for you to do that on faith and be like, okay, I'm just going to print a hundred and hopefully I sell them. You'll probably yeah. sell them eventually. It's just, you'll probably have boxes for a while. So that's why I just opt. And I live in an apartment. So I was like, I don't want to be sitting around with boxes of uh, <laughs> books around here. Um, you'll be using them as like a table. Or something. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so actually, let's get into value for value. So I know we've alluded to it a few times in this conversation. Some people may be familiar with it because this podcast is supported on Fountain. Um, we do podcasting 2.0. So um, you've probably heard me talk about this if you listen to the podcast regularly. Um, but value for value is not just for podcasting. It's also for music. And Joe's kind of been a, a pioneer, I would say, in that in that area. So, so Joe, kind of in your own words, how would you describe what value for value is? Uh, both in general and also just for you as a as an artist. Yeah, well, the the idea is essentially, it's kind of, you know, it's trying to disintermediate like these big um, streaming platforms that are capturing all the value, um, you know, that that is that wants to be sort of sent from the the listener to the artist, from the fan to the artist. And it's creating more of like a, a peer-to-peer direct relationship between the listener, uh, the fan, and the artist. Uh, but it comes with a catch. The catch is you essentially upload your music for free uh, or start from the, the premise that, okay, I'm going to upload this, upload my music to you know this platform. Um, I use Wavelake. It's like, um, you know, uh, it's kind of like the equivalent of fountain, uh, but for, for music. Um, yeah. And it has and a very, say, like the, the, the user experience is very like almost similar to SoundCloud in a way. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So it's like you upload your music, um, and the people, if they want to listen, it's currently just a web player, but if you want to listen, you go listen, you can listen for free. Um, and then it's optional whether the person sends you anything, if, if they like, song so it's kind of like um Gigi uh who like I read his stuff about Vipa Vipa stuff early on and it's what inspired me to try this and in one of his pieces he writes it's like the the digital equivalent of a sort of street performer like a busker where you're in an open space and you're performing and anyone can stand and you know, stand close by and listen. And then there's, there's no pressure on them to give you anything uh, and they can carry on walking past. Uh, but if they, they know that if they don't throw something in the hat or if no one throws anything in the hat, the music's going to stop. Um, so it's kind of like that sort of, you know, I wouldn't say it's a charitable model, but it's like, um, you know, it's, it's completely voluntary. There's no, there's, no one locking anyone else in. It's all open. And the thing is, like, the, the thing about it is, artists have to come to, to terms with the fact that music is free anyway. You know, if, if you're putting it on YouTube and Spotify, you're not getting paid for it anyway. <laughs> it is free, but people don't like that. They don't want to think that their music's free. Their art is free. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it takes, it takes the artist you know, years of, of tr- like practicing the craft and honing the craft to come up with this stuff. And not only that, it takes a lot of money uh, invested up front to record it and produce it uh, and distribute it as well. So, you know, um, people don't like that idea, but it scares, the internet, them. It scares, it scares them. them. Yeah. Yeah. But the internet is here and it's a reality and like, we've got to, we've got to live with it. So we just need to think about a different way of, 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 you know, of monetizing, uh, on like content online. And Gigi put it in a great way. He said, um, MP3 files, JPEGs aren't scarce, but the people that create them are, you know? So I think yep. like when, when people get into this mindset of, of when more things become value for value and optional, um, nothing's free. Like even, you know, we all use like, Twitter, maybe you might use Facebook, Instagram for free. Like these things aren't free. Like someone's yeah, paying for them. Um, and you and are people paying know for that, them in one way or the other. Like that, 
you know, yeah. the old phrase, like there's no free lunch. That is so yeah, true. If, if mean, it's free, you're the product. Sort of thing. Yeah. Or if something is like abnormally cheap, even like I've done a few episodes recently on the American uh, food system, which is, we can go down that rabbit hole separately. That's probably going to take up too much time. But the thing I've been seeing is like, you know, you can, you can get food really, really inexpensively in the US, but you're paying for that in other ways. Like there's a cost to doing anything. And if something is kind of below market or too cheap, you're paying for it in some way that's not money. Yeah. Um, and I think in your, your analogy here, that's a really good point. Like, yeah, Facebook, you can make an account for free, but you're paying with your attention. They're paying because the advertisers are paying to access your attention and you are paying with your attention. So it's not free. It's just you're paying for it in a way that's not dollars or pounds, but you're paying for it in another yeah. form of currency, essentially. Yeah, basically. And like attention is a rubbish currency. Yeah. <laughs> it's a rubbish proxy for current for, for, for money or currency. Like when if we could just use actual currency, that money that would be better. And that's this whole idea, essentially. But like, you know, even if you listen, if you don't pay for a Spotify subscription, you're getting bombarded with adverts every other song. Same with YouTube. Like now, like you just get more and more adverts on YouTube until it just becomes like unwatchable. Um, and it's like, it's like, man, if I could just pay like a penny to not have to watch that or half a penny and just click a button and it just took the penny, half a penny, you, you, you do that, right? So all day long. Um, yep. Yeah. So it's kind of like, um, but it's 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 gonna have to be a shift in like the public's perception of of this whole way things are of this whole incentive structure and how the the economics of how it works essentially that it isn't free you know it's also but, it's also like the, they've been trained people have been trained we all have been trained I should say not they I think we all probably do this that like music should be inexpensive or free to stream. But then you're willing to do value for value when you go to a show and you buy a t-shirt, right? So it's like, it's very interesting yeah. that, you know, you're like, oh, I'll support the artist in person by going to a show or going to uh, and buying merch or whatever. And people do, do that quite a bit, uh, even for, for smaller artists. And then, but for, you know, streaming music, it's not the norm, I would say right now at all to think about, you know, how yeah. am I paying this artist for their music? Yeah. Well, it's just, it's just like... Um... When, when someone's getting a physical album in the hand, they can hold it, it's they physically got it, it's like kind of scarce because there's only going to be, I'm only going to make a few of them. So it's like, right. they have no problem with handing over 15 pounds for an album and the same for a t-shirt. But like, as soon as it's digital and they can just access it whenever, it, like it becomes a lot harder trying to convince someone to, even though it's exactly the same thing, it's the same right. song. <laughs> like, there is no difference. <laughs> You know, you, you might you get in a nice lyric booklet with the physical album, but it's it's essentially the same thing, and it costs me the same amount to make it. You know, it doesn't matter if it's digital or not. Um, right. So, but but the crazy thing is, like with the value for value, what I found really interesting is, as soon as you ask people, uh, nine times out of ten they'll give you they'll give you something back. You know, it might not be a whole lot. It might be a hundred sats. It might be like the equivalent of a penny, or something. But People like just sending a little something. It makes them feel good. Um, you know, they 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 know they're helping you, and it's like um, they know they've supported you in some way. And um, for me, it's like I, I don't mind. You know, send whatever you want, sort of thing. Um, but if people just make like a one-off payment of a few pounds, go listen to my music forever for free because that's how much it would cost for an album. You know, so which you would have then forever because you'd have bought it. So. It's one of the, it's one of those things, uh, but it's just like, it's just early, it's so early. Yeah, it's just early, and yeah, and Bitcoin. The cool thing about value for value, I guess we should talk about the Bitcoin angle real quick. Is is that I think Bitcoin kind of makes this possible because you couldn't quite do this with credit cards or yeah. uh, you know other forms of currency because of the transaction fees and then yeah. the way KYC works and all the like nuances of the let's call it the fiat banking system. Um, but with Bitcoin, you know, especially uh, I think with like Lightning makes this even more uh, prevalent. And then some of the platforms building on top of Lightning that you can send small amounts of value, like what you're talking about, 100 sats, which is, you know, what, like, a, I don't know the exact, let's, I mean, we can, we can look it up, but 100 sats is not very much money in fiat terms. But I think it's like very easy on these platforms. Like I send 100 sats to podcast podcasters all the time. 
It's just like, even if it wasn't like the greatest episode, but I listened to it or I even listened to it for like five, 10 minutes. I'm like, okay, you know, you did something, you put time into this. Here's a hundred sets. And people do that on outside the system too. It's, you know, we've like the cool thing as a podcaster, I think versus doing something like ads is you, you can see, you know, how many people are supporting you. And even if the amounts are not that much, it's like kind of is very encouraging to keep going and uh, keep diving into it. Cause it's like, I think we've had like 270 individual accounts send us sats, you know, some bigger, some smaller. Um, but that feels really good, you know, that you have 270 people who have found some value, at least in what you're doing. Absolutely. And it sort of brings back some sort of like economic signal back to content again. Uh, because it's like, it doesn't really have the same effect with streams. Like, um, you know, because if you get added to a playlist on Spotify, for instance, like a New Music Friday playlist or whatever it is, you know, you've got people all around the country that might like, you know, have just put the music on in the background or they might have a cafe or an establishment and they plug their phone in and they're playing playing a playlist and your song might just make its way into the playlist and get a load of streams. But that doesn't mean that people directly valued that song. You know what I mean? Whereas if someone sends you actual money for that song, you know that they genuinely valued it because there's an economic tie there. There's an economic signal. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's super important as well because um, there's a lot of, well, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I've been brought up on like all the old school music, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really well-crafted songs. When I hear song, some of the stuff nowadays, it's like, considered mainstream i'm like who's writing this stuff yeah. <laughs> like, like i don't know it's, it's anyway but again maybe that is also a, a factor of the uh, the economic signal being broken away from the music as well well the the cool thing too is that uh and i just thought of this from what you said like the value for value part makes it easier to be more of a niche even right whereas i think the, the, the way that the label structure works, you kind of have to be almost all things to all people. Like you need to be a big, like you need to have a wide range of fans uh, yeah. to kind of cover the costs and make everything worth it and make everybody enough money in the whole pie, essentially. Yeah. Whereas, you know, value for value, I mean, you probably heard that term, a uh, thousand true fans. I forget who wrote that article, but it was like a, a article about a thousand true fans is all any artist, blogger, writer right. needs to make a living. Um, so, it's, so yeah. this is the other thing about value for value that I've kind of, you know, was a bit of an epiphany when I first came across it. It was that idea of having a core fan base of say, say you got it to like 5,000 fans, which, you know, is achievable for a, an independent artist. And they were all, you know, on board with value for value, for instance, if they sent you a, f- a few pounds a year, like that's really good, like that's good money, you know. Yep. And to them, to them, to send to send you like fifty pence, like when your song comes out, isn't much, you know, individually, but it, you know, it fills up quick. Absolutely. Uh, and that's the thing about bringing that middle middle ground back for the independent artists, that when this movement gets big enough, and when, I mean, I don't think it'll be, it'll just become, you know it's like a group of people at the moment that are on Bitcoin, Twitter and like trying all this cool new tech out, but it will just get plugged into everything. You know, it'll be like seamlessly integrated. Everything will talk lightning. You know, you'll be able to send stuff around that easy. It's just going to be like sending an email. Or right. Exactly. I mean, that's the vision for it. Exactly. And well, with less spam, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh, so. One 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 question, I guess that I'm curious about is like, how has this? I mean, I guess when did you start this experiment with value for value, and then how how has it kind of affected your career in a tangible way so far? So, I mean, it's funny because like I was listening to uh, Kevin Rook's podcast, um, and then came across Adam Curry, um, started listening to some of his stuff, and was hearing that all the, you know, saw Fountain crop up and um, started looking at that. And I got serious FOMO because I was like, all these podcasters are having all the fun. 
getting <laughs> getting sat sent to them, you know, for their content. And I was like, well, I can't, you know, why, why isn't any musicians doing this? And um, I was like, man, I've got to get on this because uh, <laughs> surely loads more people are going to start like flooding in and like thinking this is a good idea. So I went and put a, a single that I released last October. So, you know, what's that like several months ago? Uh, I put it on Fountain as like a podcast episode, basically. And then I went on Stack of News and I was like, hey, everyone, like, uh, I introduced myself and I said, I've just put uh, a song on Fountain because uh, I'm trying to do value for value. But as a musician, like, what do we think? And not expecting anything, really. And everyone, yeah. loved, the, everyone loved the idea. And I reached out to some uh, great Bitcoiners like uh, Daniel Prince and and uh, even Gigi gave it a retweet and stuff like that. I was so I was blown away by the people that were like engaging with it. And I made like eighty pounds or something in the first week. Um and I was like, that's insane. Like I've I've only probably made that the whole time, the whole several years I've been on on these streaming, you know, Spotify wow. and, and, and iTunes and stuff. So I, ma- I made essentially what had taken me several years in seven days. Yep. So when you when you put it, yeah, when you put it like that, and and this isn't for, even from my regular fan fan base or listeners because they don't they're not really I don't know if they understand the value for value stuff yet they they will one day, but um, <laughs> but these were just like people on Twitter and stuff, and I was like it kind of got me like angry, being like how much value. Is been has been siphoned off by like Spotify and iTunes and YouTube and these platforms over all these years. Like how much value? Uh, and then like you know I was, I, was a bit, I was a bit angry about it. And then I was like, well, you know, I guess I shouldn't be angry because this whole tech it didn't exist. Like this whole you know tech stack to enable this to happen didn't ex- didn't exist. So you know. So at least now it's like, I thought, right, okay, new start, fresh start. Okay, we're going value for value from now on. So yeah. uh, that's what I, I wanted to do. So I released a sing- another single off the album earlier this year, again, for value for value. Um, and at, this, at the same time, Wave Lake was just coming out. So I was talking to, the, to, um, to Michael and Sam um, over at Wave Lake and testing some of the stuff with them before they launched that. And... Uh, giving them feedback and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, and then re- re- uh, recently released my, my album a few days early on Wavelength like, awesome. and Martin as well. And I'll keep, I'll keep doing it. You know, I'll keep putting out everything I release early on these, uh, you know, streaming 2.0 value for value platforms because, because they're, they're, they, they're putting the artists first, you know, so I'm going to put them first. So that's what I decided. So. Yeah, I mean that makes that makes total sense. I mean, what are um, I didn't realize Wavelike was that new. I mean, it's really it's super. Really I mean, new. The amount of progress that they've made then in that amount of time is incredible. Yeah, yeah it's coming along really fast. It's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder, like, as a user, because I was noticing this with Wavelike, because I've been trying it out the last few weeks and stuff. Um, like one thing that is. A point of friction. I mean, there's obviously, I'm sure they've heard all of this, but just kind of want to bring it up here. Like one point of friction as a listener on their platform versus something like a Spotify is in theory, like right now on Wavelake, I have to manually send sats to every every artist, right? Or every song that I'm listening to. Whereas like, for example, on Fountain, I can just set streaming and just stream sats every time I listen to episode uh, yeah. for, for podcasts. So, I mean, that type of streaming feature for Wavelike would be awesome. And then the other option that could be really cool just as a user is, can I pay a monthly subscription? And then it divides my subscription by the artist that I listen to um, directly. So I don't have to think necessarily, and I can send an extra boost, you know, to whoever, but then that way I know I'm at least, you know, contributing for my listening. Um, yeah. Almost in the way like a Spotify, like in theory, that's what Spotify does. But then you're right. They siphon off a lot of the value for themselves and then probably like give a sliver broken up by the artists that you listen to. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think like you could do this in a value for value way that's actually sustainable for the artist. Like what if every month I want to 
like I'm like, all right, I get a lot of value from music. I'm going to put $20 into this every month. And then, you know, Wavelake can take a portion, but the percentage that they would take is, I'm guessing, significantly less than a Spotify because, you know, this is like, this is one of the advantages of Bitcoin, I guess. We're all building on essentially this like layer that already has gotten, you know, it, it works incredibly well. Um, and, and we can kind of all build on top of that. Whereas Spotify, if you think about it, has to build this whole infrastructure themselves. So that's probably, there's some cost going into that, all the humans that go into building something like that, maintaining something like that. Plus, you know, there's a profit motive, of course, as a company. So it's a little bit uh, different. It's not there yeah. for the artists, it's there for the company. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know, um, I don't know anything about the scaling solutions of like, you know how to host all that music when it gets to a certain size and the costs involved in that um because i think the way wavelake are going about it at the moment is they're just taking a, a split of every of every boost that is sent so i think it's something like 95 percent goes to the artist five percent kind of like wavelake. fountain in some ways i think fountain is similar yeah. uh take from the podcaster yeah yeah exactly so but you know that's all very well and good now that it's, there's like a handful of artists on there and not that much data to contend with. Sure. But, yeah. You know, if you, if, if you try to have like, I think Spotify has got something like 20 million songs on there or something. Oh, wow. So, so something like that. So when you get to that number and you need server farms and stuff, like, I don't know. Yeah. But it's a little again, bit different you, of a, of a problem but it will, to deal with. But it yeah. will, it will obviously scale with the amount of users, right? Like, um, the amount of users engaging with the platform. The, the, the big question is how, you know, because Spotify and iTunes and YouTube have such dominant network effects, is how to get the listeners over, hopping over from one platform to another. When they're not going to want to leave Spotify where all their playlists are. And Although they, I'll say I'll say Fountain's done a good job. Like I used to listen yeah, to all okay. my podcasts on Spotify, and now the thing that's addicted me to Fountain, besides being a podcaster, obviously myself, and seeing how the ecosystem works, is it's kind of like to, network effects was the perfect phrase that you just used because I feel like on Fountain it works similarly. Like as you follow more people, more people follow you, your yeah. feed gets very interesting. So this actually brings up a, a question I was going to ask you because in podcasting. I've noticed the value for value system is very helpful for me to discover new podcasts or discover episodes of podcasts that I should be listening to um, in the feed, right? I'll see like, oh, so-and-so boosted this by 5,000 sats or so-and-so sent 50,000 sats to, you know, TFTC episode, whatever. And um, it's really helpful for me to just see what people are boosting. Cause then if there's an episode that pops up that I've never seen that, that podcaster before no idea what that podcast is but i'm seeing some boosts i'm like oh, i should add that to my queue that's yeah, probably interesting there must be something there must be something here yeah. yeah so it's actually a great signaling mechanism that people are putting you know they're they're putting their hard-earned money essentially towards certain episodes and so it gives you this real sense of like okay if they're doing that there must be truly something here i should listen to that mm -hmm. music could i think be very similar because that feature is what is bringing me to fountain now for all my podcast listening, because it's like, I want to be able to boost podcasts and I want, you know, uh, to be able to see what other people are boosting. So it's the truly network effect. That's kind of keeping me there now. Um, yeah, I could see the and, same and for Wave, music. Like who doesn't like discovering new music, you know? Yeah. And Wavelight do have something similar where they've got a top 40 leaderboard uh, yes, of I've like the most that, boosted yep. songs that, that, that rise and fall, you know, um, so that that's that's good for discovering new songs as well, um, but I guess just back to your point with with you saying it was easy enough to move over to Fountain, I think it's less of a thing with uh, with podcasting because everything's sort of RSS based. Yes, um, so true. so it it doesn't really matter what uh, platform what uh, app you're listening to it, it with because you can always find that episode in another app exactly. very easily. So yeah. with Spotify and Spotify hasn't been doing it for that long. Spotify, if you think about it, only recently got into podcasts like last few years. It wasn't something they were doing, you know, from the beginning, whereas music I mean, people might have had playlists from 10 years ago on Spotify that they don't want to lose. Yeah, exactly. But so say like my favorite artist on Spotify, 
if they upload, you know, it's not like it's an interoperable thing where if they upload it to Spotify, it will be on every other thing that does music. It, it might just be on Spotify, for instance. Yep. Like, it's not a, it's not an open ecosystem. Yeah. So until this is the thing, like to to try and get the listeners across to a different platform like Waverly, it, I think it's going to take a concerted effort from the artists as well to be quite vocal to say you know i i'm going to release all my music early on wavelake and then it's going to go on spotify a week later so so if people want to hear the new the new album from their favorite artist they've got to they've got to go to wavelake to listen to it first um, and then that will hopefully bring more and more people in um but again you know it's 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 tough it's tough it's like network effects are sticky on it it's, it's kind of of course yeah it's, it's one of those where and, and and for me as well it's like i don't know whether i just say listen to it on whatever you want uh just pay me a one-off just just send me a one-off uh, boost on whatever and then just go and listen where you where all your music is i, I don't know but uh we're figuring it out as we go i guess yeah yeah and i think just like anything there's like a early adopters people who are gonna do this first people who will do this later like you know, I've been harassing my friends now about getting on Fountain and, you know, probably will do the same for value for value music as well. Um, yeah. But I think it's like the music part I'm actually very encouraged by uh, because there is an offline equivalent, right? Like I, I do truly, like I have a friend who's in the music merch uh, business and I mean, he always tells me how many people buy merch at shows, which you've seen as well. People buy merch for, at shows and it's Part of it is you want to signal to others that, okay, look, Liz, I'm listening to this artist or I know about this cool new artist. That's part of wearing a shirt from an artist. The other part is supporting that artist. And I actually think value for value hits both of those, right? If you have the, the network effect or social kind of way of showing, oh, I like when you boost a podcast on Fountain, it shows up in people's feeds, right? So again, it's signaling like, look, I'm supporting this artist. And Sometimes the comments can be really funny that people make on Fountain. I could see similar types of things happening on music as well. Um, but then the yeah, idea of supporting it, an artist makes total sense. To I, I think like most people understand the concept, but I don't think most people understand how the business model works today and how hard it is for an artist to actually make money. Um, yeah. So they don't think about this from a streaming perspective, right? Yeah, for sure. And like people do want to be seen to be like the super fans as well. Yes. Um, and you yes. could even do something like you could even say, you know, my top 10 or my top five uh, most boosted people can 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 get a free gig ticket or something like you could always like do something like that. Oh, yeah. Like people. promotions or. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's loads of things you could do. Uh, yeah. Like I've been doing something for the podcast even, you know, you can clip podcasts on uh, fountain people can make clips so i i post on twitter periodically to remind people but it's like i mean you if anybody makes a clip i will i will send you at least 100 sets so it's just that's cool. i mean you know because it's like they're doing work to help the podcast ultimately like it's a clip that i didn't have to go make myself yeah. um you know but but people like it's cool that you can run those kind of like contests and stuff in the value for yeah. value world and, yeah. and i think uh I heard the Wavelet guys talking about uh, if someone sent, uh, if someone shares your um, shares your song, and then that song gets boosted, the person that shared it can have a sliver as well. Mm, because that's because cool. you like they're an like influencer. <laughs> what? Well, yeah, but just yeah. like you know, because you wouldn't have got that boost maybe if they hadn't shared it. So they should get a little tiny cut as well, which I think is a good idea. Um, yeah, I like that so a lot. Yeah. Yeah, so many things you can do. So we're just scratching the surface, I think. Yeah. Um, so as we wrap up, I have a couple last couple questions. Uh, so one, if someone's listening to this and let's say they're an artist and they're like, okay, I want to learn more about this. I want to get involved. Like, what is the best place to start? Because I could tell them for podcasting, I could tell you where to start. But for, you know, for an artist who's like, okay, I want to try out value for value. What, what's the best next steps for them to do or what should they be reading or what should they be doing yeah I, i'd say the, the first the best place to go is wavelake at the moment for sure um it's super easy you just sign up you just make an account with an email and password and you're ready to go and you don't even have to worry about the lightning stuff you, they have like a a lightning wallet built into your account which you can just withdraw from any time you're ready to do that um, and then it's just dead easy uploading, uh, you know, your MP3 file and artwork, 
uh, to get up on site. Um, that said, um, I don't know, because I, I uploaded to Fountain first because there was nothing else at the time. So I don't know whether if I was starting again now, whether I'd do that because it is a podcasting app. Although I think they are looking to expand into music stuff as well. Uh, but I still get a lot of boosts and stuff from Fountain. So it's kind of like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to um, take my stuff off there. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I made an account with rss.com uh, to, to have an RSS feed, which I'm paying a monthly subscription for at the moment, which isn't ideal because I'm not making, because the thing is different with, with podcasting and music because like, Podcasters are quite prolific. They'll they'll make an episode every week or every other day. And right, the it's podcast, not music. Yep. And the podcast music takes a lot longer. Yeah, exactly. So the podcast can last anywhere between like an hour or even two hours or whatever. And through that hour or two hours, people, if they're doing a streaming thing constantly, they're constantly streaming stats and boosting throughout that time. Whereas a song is like three minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> and it costs a lot of money if you if you go to a studio and you get it produced properly. You got musicians to pay. You've got your mixing and mastering. You've got your studio time. You've got your artwork. It gets really expensive. Just for even one song is, you know, it can cost like There's a thousand. Lot. It can cost like a grand to make like one song to do it well. Wow. Uh, it costs a lot. So, yeah, I mean, um, so there's that to take into consideration as well. Um, so I don't know, but I think you can, I don't know, don't quote me on this, but you might be able to host an RSS feed from Wavelake and have that, propagate to like apps like fountain and all the other rss compatible apps whereas there's no host i don't know if there's a hosting fee with wavelake at the moment because they're doing it on a percentage thing when they get hmm. uh, streams I, I i don't really know too much about that yet but um uh yeah i'd just say start with wavelake and then go from there yeah uh, resources i'm not too sure maybe um Kevin Rook's podcast is a good place to start. That's where I learned a lot of stuff. Uh, Adam Curry is always pushing the the boundaries. He, oh, yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he gave me a spin on his show, Podcasting 2.0 Podcast of the Day. And it was the first, apparently it was the first ever streaming split where during the episode, the, the value block uh, changed to my lightning address. And within that three minutes, anyone that boosted, it would go to me, to me which is really cool. Wow. Um, that's awesome yeah <laughs> we'll definitely so, link to that that was really cool so that's a big honor that from the podfather himself to, to have done that with high gravity um but i've got a blog on my website it's it's pretty pretty simple but it's got some links to some other articles that people can read like Gigi's articles and uh, to little snippets from other podcasts and that's just at my website joemartinmusic.com slash value for value and i'm going to be keeping up that up there for the foreseeable so if people want awesome to, find out a bit more they can head there and that's got some more resources awesome yeah and then i guess last but not least where can people support you or learn more about your music listen to your music what, what's the best place to send them or best places i should say um if they want to uh, experience the wave lake experience they can go there and uh just find me on wave lake uh, joe martin music uh, again on fountain i've got like a a podcast uh show and each song is an episode there. If they search Joe Martin Music on Fountain, they can find me. Um, and then they can, if they go to joemartinmusic.com slash vibe for value, uh, they can also send uh, through through um, my open node uh, instance there if they want to send any on-chain or lightning or anything like that. Um, but yeah, just check out the new album, which has just come out and see, see what you think. If you like it, give it a boost. It might not be your jam, but that's cool. Um, and then if there's anyone listening in the UK, um i i'm gigging quite a bit up and down the country um so you can find that on my website as well i've just landed some uh, dates in germany later on this year oh wow i've not, I've not Congrats. thank you yeah i've not fully announced that yet but that'll be on my website as well pretty soon so that's awesome yeah i i will say from my part like i uh was listening to the album uh while driving i think um uh, it's good. It's good driving music. I still need to boost you. I'll do that right now as soon as we're off the cool. off the air here. But um, but it was good. It was like really nice driving music. I'll say like nice sunny day, like you know open road kind of thing. 
Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if you get that often, but that's the sort of vibe that I got when I was listening to it. And uh, then I was like, all right, I have a long drive, like in two days, I'm going to put this on as part of uh, what I listened to. There you go. It's the, it's the empty passenger seat and that whole Capri tying into it all. Yep. It, those vibes. Yeah. yeah, no, I liked it. I liked it. Yeah. So I'll link to all this stuff in the show notes, um, as usual for anyone listening. Um, I'll link to, uh, Joe's Twitter, his website, um, the album, um, and his other profiles elsewhere. And then other things we've talked about in this episode, there'll be links and resources uh, in the show notes. So make sure you check that out. Joe, thanks so much for coming on. This is, this is awesome. Uh, I'm excited. maybe we'll get you on for the next album. I know it's, uh, it's, you know, probably not coming out anytime <laughs> soon, but uh, I need to write it yet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, maybe we'll get you on and see how everything's going on the, you know, value for value. Hopefully the ecosystem has grown a bit, you know, before the next album comes out, but uh, yeah, you're doing great work, man. Keep it up. And uh, thanks for, for supporting the ecosystem. Thanks for having me on, Neil. Appreciate it.